This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent his own son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. She's got cancer is the Facebook message that makes you sit up in your chair then lean forward with slumped shoulders. The one you love and care about has been rushed to the hospital is the text that sticks like a dagger into your heart. He fell again is the voicemail that weighs like an anchor on your soul. The problem that you see and the trouble of the tests are inconclusive, but we know that she's on her last legs is the cracking voice that comes through the phone as your voice cracks too. The young boy smarts off at the dinner table and is sent to his room. Stomping off, he lands there, and later in the evening, you come by and ask, Buddy, tell me what's going on. He thrashes and trashes his favorite pillow and posters and finally calms down enough to say they're making fun of me at school and calling me weird. Joy is hard to find. Even if you find it, it's hard to hold. Imprisoned in the northern Greece city of Philippi, Paul and his companions, you would think, had zero reason for joy. There they were, with their feet poking through the stocks, their wrists chafing from the chains, knowing they're very likely near the end of life. And what are they doing? Singing hymns about Jesus and his love. A dozen years later, Paul is in Rome under house arrest, not deep, dark dungeon, not jail, but house arrest, which when you think about it, probably just as bad. For how long, though? A couple days? A week? A month? Nearly two years. You would think that the letter he writes back to his fellow believers in Philippi who had pulled him from the rubble of the jail that fell apart during an earthquake a dozen years earlier, you would think that they would expect his letter would have him 
whining and complaining and agreeing with them that all you can do is hang in there through this joyless journey of life until Jesus comes back in judgment. But no. Joy. This entire little letter is laced with 14 times. Count them 14 times. He talks about joy and rejoice. In the first two chapters of the Bible, God describes life in the perfect world. Adam and Eve enjoyed a bond of love and trust with God. The lines of communication with God were wide open. But in chapter 3, God describes how they blew that bond apart. No longer could they stand in the presence of the holy God and even talk to him. But also, in that very same chapter, God surprised them and surprises us, taking our breath away. He promises a rescuer who will restore the bond of love and trust between God and people, even sinful people. That's the promise that he makes to them. And for anyone who believes that promise, the lines of communication with God are once again wide open. Trust that promise and you can bring your praise and thanks, your troubles and problems to God. There are boundless examples in the Holy Scriptures of people who enjoyed that bond of trust and that open communication with God. Abraham, his son Isaac, his grandson Jacob, his great-grandson Joseph, King David, and the proclaimers, sometimes called the prophets, who understood the Lord is near to hear us. But the question is, does he hear and listen to me? Does he listen to you? I know my record of naughtiness. Do you know yours? Of course you do, to the point where if we put our mind to it, we have to admit that way too often our joyful prayer is turned into foolish prattle. Have I always trusted that God will turn everything, even yucky, bad, and crummy stuff, for my ultimate good? Have I been willing to stand and say with confidence and kindness, here's the truth, even when facing someone who looks at me as though I'm a closed-minded fool? Lack of trust in the rescuer breaks down communication with God. And there can be no worse judgment from God than for him to turn a deaf ear to our troubles and to treat us like a stern father. I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not the only one who's nervous about that. Neither are you. Because there's plenty of examples in the Holy Scriptures of people who had a break off of communication, their fault, in connection with God. Like when God used Moses to rescue the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They got to the border of the promised land. God told Moses, send 12 scouts to check it out. Two came back and said, let's go. Ten said, let's not. The Israelites believed the ten. And for that rebellion and disobedience, God told them, you're all going to have to die over the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Only the under 20 crowd is going to grow up and make it into the promised land. Moses described it 
in this way. You rebelled against the Lord. Even when he told you you're going to have to wander for 40 years, you rebelled against that command, and in your arrogance, you anyway marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. But to turn our worry about that to wow, the apostle uses four words that indicate we still now have, even as sinners, open communication with God thanks to Jesus. He says, in every situation, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your thanksgiving and request to God. In our Back to the Basics of the Bible course, we have a lesson that has part of it devoted just to the subject of prayer. And one of the things we ask the participants is, when do you think we can pray? They all jump in. Anytime. And where do you think we can pray? Anywhere. And they're right. That's what Paul had in mind when he talked about and used the term prayer, this, this general but constant and consistent communication with God. And under the general term, he lists Petitions, which leans toward calling on God, even begging him for help in trouble, like the leper who came before Jesus, fell on his feet before the Lord and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am, and he did. And then Paul talks about thanksgiving. Ask yourself, in my prayer life, is it mostly, Lord, give me this, give me that, do this, do that, or do I balance that equally with thanks to God for all he has given me, my family, my friends, my ability to work, for the shelter he's given me, and especially for his greatest gift, that he has wedded himself to me in spite of my repulsive sinfulness. And then he adds the word, Requests, which underscores our confidence to come before God and talk to him and ask him for anything as Abraham did when he prayed for the few believers remaining in the putrid cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've entered the Advent season of the church here, and during Advent we remember one of the results of Jesus' coming, which gives us great joy in every situation. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I'll say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near to hear us. Count up your good days and then count up the days you think are bad. Make a list of when you got a frown on your face and when you have a smile on your face. Do the bad days and the frowns weigh on the scale heavier than the good and happy days? Are you a person who says, well, every day for me is a happy day, or are you just simply saying that out of your song-like imagination? Is the news about Putin and Hamas, and political wrangling and infighting, and morals of society, that's the expectations of what's really right and wrong, okay right now, in your opinion? Or do you see problem after problem, sickness after sickness, horrible trouble after trouble, and horror after horror? Do headlines 
about health care industry insurance company greed, interest rates, racial bias, street people, lead poisoning, political promises we know will never be kept, and filth that even kids can access on their phones drag you into thinking, oh, it's bad. Our country is just like the Roman Empire from 20 centuries ago. It's going to collapse and soon. Where's the joy to counter all of that? The Apostle Paul hits the nail on the head as he pens his final words in his letter to the Philippians proclaiming peace, which is hooked into the Hebrew concept of physical, emotional, and spiritual wholeness. Some people think, well, that's just an abstract concept, sort of like a distant cloud that you can't really grab and hold. But Paul says, no, this peace that I'm talking about is real and it's practical. It's peace with God won for us by Jesus Christ in his war against the old evil foe who got Adam and Eve to, belie, to believe his lie that, hey, you can do something to get up with and onto God's level and in good with him. But that lie is a lie. Try it. Try to get in with God and get Him to like you just by your doing. You can't. But Jesus did. And the peace with God that He won, He gives to us. That's God's gracious promise to you and to me every day. His gracious promise where he can then with courage say, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Who here has never had any fears or doubts? Has, can God really forgive me for what I just did? Who here has never had pressure from the outside just because you're a Christian? But yet, in the midst of all of that turmoil and swirling deep on our hearts because we have peace with God that transcends all understanding. Imagine the God of all majesty and power, the God of infinity, backwards and forwards in time, is the one who has chosen you to rest in his arms, close to his heart of love. That's even more astounding when we think of where we'd be without it. In one of his letters, the apostle wrote, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he's reconciled, made you friends by Christ's death to bring you holy and present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's what the Lord Jesus has done. And there's more. Philippi was in northern Greece, as I mentioned earlier, and it was an outpost from the Roman government that they had given as a reward to soldiers who were victory in battle. So the citizens of Philippi were used to seeing soldiers around, up on the walls and ramparts to keep watch for bad guys on the outside, walking the streets to keep order and stopping by their coffee shop and hanging out. They were used to that. And so they got it when the apostle said, and this peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard will actually garrison your hearts in Christ Jesus. No matter what kind of doubts or fear on the inside, no matter even the forces of Satan from the outside cannot stand against the citadel of peace we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always, he says. I'll say it again. Rejoice. The Lord is near to 
cheer us. God is watching you. God is watching you. Identical words, different tone. One makes me want to duck. The other makes me want to peek behind crooked elbow with a smile and relax. Is it good or is it bad when the apostle tells us the Lord is near? What if the holy, almighty, all-powerful God in all his brilliance and holiness would come striding down this aisle? Would you be thrilled or scared? Well, how about if he masks his majesty and might and rides a donkey into Jerusalem and five days later goes up on a pole to writhe in the agonies of hell so you and I never will. This is the start of a new church year, the season of Advent. The altar, lectern, and pulpit are adorned in blue, the color reflecting the hope of heaven because Jesus has come. That's what Advent means. He's coming because he has come. And he has done what he has done. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is near means only that God is looking at us with his tender eye and wrapping us in the snuggle blanket of his mercy so that in every situation we can have and hold joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you mighty doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty is this King of glory. During this Advent season, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.